Hey guys, today's podcast is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas are socks engineered and designed to look better, feel better, and perform better. Bombas are purpose-built for athletic performance and designed for extreme leisure. Each section of a Bomba sock has been carefully created to improve on years of sock complacency in the industry. When you purchase a pair, one pair is donated to somebody who's in need of socks. Because you listen to this show, you can save over 20% off your first order by going to www.getbombas.com slash row. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the show. This is the World of Row Podcast. And now your host, standing at 6'4", 225 pounds, from Alice, Texas, Roel Santos! Alright folks, let's do this. Sit back, relax, and crank up your audio levels to the highest decibel, because you're about to get into the World of Roe podcast, and I am your host. My name is Roe. That's what people like to call me for short. It's actually Rowell Santos. I am a man of several hats. I have a Green Bay Packers hat. I have a Chicago Cubs hat. I have a San Antonio Spurs hat. But (laughs) I'm a man of many things. I'm a loving husband, a caring father, a wonderful human being, a man who loves to stare at his iPhone. No, I don't stare at my iPhone. A man who loves to... uh, Listen to podcasts on his iPhone. That's what it is. And I am a podcaster, and welcome to the show. Now, this show is available to you every single Friday on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcasts. There's a couple of great ways you can help out my show nowadays, and one of those is to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, share it with your friends, tell your coworkers about me, tell your friends about me. Use social media. Maybe you can tweet it out. Maybe uh, send a message through Facebook. You can Vine it, whatever it is, any other any of those social media outlets you use. And lastly, you can also help out by going to the Patreon page. Uh, that's www.patreon.com slash row. If you want to donate 50 cents, a dollar, two dollars, whatever you want to donate, that just, you know, you help support the show that way. And by doing so, you get bonus episodes, you get extra content, a shout out on the show. Um, speaking of which, let's give a shout out to my buddy Aaron Castillo. He is the a patron for the patreon page thank you very much buddy i appreciate it well folks that's about it so let's go ahead and get into the show and talk about this week's guest i'm not going to give you too much of a monologue here because i want to get right into it um as you guys know i'm a diehard san antonio spurs fan i'm a diehard sports fan i always wanted to be a coach i kind of patterned myself uh, after so many great coaches who have had successful careers and building successful teams with my job and uh this week's guest is Chad Forcier. Chad Forcier is an NBA coach. Uh, he was a coach for the coach for the San Antonio Spurs. Great basketball team, great organization, great people. I was really, really thrilled to be able to talk to him. I was uh, honored. I was excited, and most importantly, I was a little nervous going into it. But you know, Chad made it really easy to talk on this podcast. He was very personable. He was a really cool, down to earth guy. And it was nice. It was really cool to, to talk to talk about coaching, to talk about his career, talk about what he's striving for and things that he's uh, proud of and the opportunities he's had. <clears throat> and it's really about hearing journeys, right? Every week I have a different guest for you guys. Sometimes it's a two-parter or sometimes they've been on. 
more than once and I just wanted I just want to share with you guys different experiences because see when I first started doing the podcast I wanted to talk to people who I felt could be an influence on myself or on anybody else and they've had an amazing story where they've worked hard and not everybody's into sports I get that but the the people that are behind it coaching playing whatever they bust their butts getting to where they're at and Chad's no different and let me tell you guys, it was a long time planning this. Uh, Chad and I talked way back in November about being on the podcast, and he was all for it. But, you know, being in the NBA, coaching, you know, you're in November, you're already in the heart of the NBA. So we're not even in the heart of the season, but you're just at the very beginning. Your time's very limited, and you kind of have to work around that. So Chad and I were going back and forth almost all season into May, into June. Then finally in July, we finally got a date set up and we actually got to sit down and talk and we talked at a Starbucks. You know, the first time I ever did a, a podcast at a, at a local venue or a local, it wasn't really a big venue, but we were just there talking really cool guy. And I hope you enjoy. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and get started with, get this episode started and I hope you enjoy. <laughs> So you were, uh, you did, you coached in Seattle, or you were like an intern in Seattle, is that right? Yeah, I started with the Seattle Sonics. Um, I was actually a sophomore in college at the really, time, really? and uh, George Carl was the head coach there. Wow. Um, they had training camp on my college campus, nice. and it's a long story you probably don't have time for, but yeah, I, got, yeah. I got a lucky break yeah. uh, at the start of my sophomore year in college when they were on campus having training camp. Uh, I got an opportunity to kind of get my foot in the door, right. um, and it wasn't called an internship in 1992. They didn't really right. have that kind of a concept <laughs> in the NBA. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, I, I got kind of a paid by the hour job, you know, minimum wage, and doing some things for the team. And um, before you knew it, I had been there for five years. So I stayed with them, uh, for, wow. you know, for all for three three of the years. Mm-hmm. I was full-time student in college wow. and then after graduating from college worked for him full-time uh you know two more years so I ended up being with coach carl for five seasons nice. so that's how it got started wow man that was a good way to start man george carl is one of the best coaches in the nba hall of famer yeah so i i had looked up your week wikipedia so now i know it's pretty <laughs> accurate I, is that is that even valid well i don't know is I mean, it accurate it didn't show your age so i don't know how <laughs> <laughs> but i always look it up and try to find stuff out and i mean if it's accurate or not but it's pretty accurate they did mention you were an intern so so five years there and where, where did you go to college at i went to seattle pacific university and nice. um by coincidence uh you know the the sonics in in that era, there wasn't uh, you know a practice facility. We yeah. got one shortly thereafter, but right. we practiced in the arena. That's what teams did in that era of, of uh, the NBA. Wow! And um, in, in those days, it was a Seattle Center Coliseum, mm-hmm. and it was just on the other side of the uh, of, of the hill from where I went to college. Wow. So they wanted to get off campus and have a little more space and a little uh, you know tighter environment. Mm-hmm. So they'd come over over the hill and, and come to our our college he's right. our gym yeah um the longtime trainer mm-hmm. for the 
for the Sonics. Frank Furtado happened to be a Seattle Pacific alum, which is okay. really probably nothing more than a footnote. I don't know that that was necessarily <laughs> the reason they had training camp there, but right. but uh, it was convenient for the team and, and gave them a, yeah. a tighter atmosphere, and it just so happened I was a student there. Wow. So that was during the uh, their heyday almost, right? I mean, back then, I mean, because you had Sean Kemp and Gary yeah. Payton there, and they yeah. Played against the 72 win Bulls. And yeah, so what happened was um, my first season, which was the 92 93 season, uh, yeah. I mean, I got swept up in this thing right away. In 92 93, we made it to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I remember that. And we played the Phoenix Suns, which was a Charles Barkley team, and Dan Marley and Kevin Johnson, all those yeah. guys. And, and uh, Phoenix had home court advantage that year. We went to a game seven and lost yeah. a game seven in Phoenix. Uh, which happened to be a game where they shot 63 free throws in regulation, which is obviously unheard wow. of. So uh, that set Phoenix up uh, with an NBA Finals day with the Bulls. Right. So it was a Barkley-Jordan matchup in 93. Yeah. But uh, that's how it got started yeah. and, um, in you know my first year. Right. And then uh, in the 95-96 season, um, we had a great year, won 64 games if I remember right. And yeah. uh, we ended up going to the conference finals again. We beat Carl Malone, John yeah. Stockton. Was that when they were the fans were counting down every time? You yeah, it was. Yeah. It, 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 that's a great memory. I don't know yeah. how you remember that, but we ended up having a game seven in Seattle that year, yeah. which uh, I learned quickly what what game sevens on your home court meant in yeah. the NBA. So we won that game and. Um, made it to the finals mm-hmm. and our reward for a win in the western conference that year was getting to see chicago <laughs> and michael jordan and yeah. uh unfortunately that was the 72 win team that year yeah and we ended up in the finals and, and lost in six games yeah that was a interesting series i remember watching the uh i i, I every now and then i'll look it up just to see if my memory serves well but i remember rodman trying to get into Frank Brickowski's head throughout the whole series and they were vice just, versa. Brick, yeah, both Brick, of them, right? Brick was trying to get into Robin's head and see if we could get Robin thrown out. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a it was a heck of an era. Uh, yeah. you know, in those five years, uh we had a couple of um you know, sixty plus win seasons. Yeah, I, I think that. we won sixty four the year we went to the finals, another year I think we won sixty three maybe. Yeah. And uh so in the five years that I was there I was mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to be a part of uh yeah. I- incredible success and and uh i think we averaged 59 wins a year yeah. you know over the over that five-year window so yeah. it was a lot of success gary payton and sean kemp were the you know the the young talent on right, that team yeah. of course and and then some great veteran players mm-hmm. nate mcmillan who's obviously the head coach of the indiana pacers right. now and um uh you know sam perkins right. detlef shrimp yeah, just a lot team. of hersey hawkins just a lot of a lot of incredible veteran guys yeah and so you started out as an intern what did you what did you do out there you know i made juice 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 i was like a juice man <laughs> so that no joke i i got my foot in the door uh cutting apples and oranges and and yeah. and, and celery and carrots and, wow. and all that kind of stuff the the trainer frank Furtado, who i already mentioned yeah. uh, and, and the strength coach bob medina um had decided they wanted to venture into kind of uh new territory right, right. in the nba with some some sports nutrition which mm-hmm. these days uh you know doesn't doesn't make an impact on anybody right. listening to this because everybody's 
doing sports nutrition, anything right, you can right. do to get a competitive advantage. But yep. back in 1992, <laughs> uh, you were kind of on the forefront of trying to find an advantage any way you could and yeah. trying to help your team and, and, and uh, have healthier players and have more energized players and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So uh, Frank Furtado is just, again, a legend mm -hmm. and was a guy who was always trying to think outside of the box and was always uh, chasing new knowledge and yeah. was always willing to, to, to try to go down a new path and see if he could find a pot of gold. So yeah. uh, I ended up, again, when you talk about the, the, uh, the fortune and the luck yeah. of right time, right place, right circumstance, um, you know, that that was me. And, and so when I went down there and, and got my opportunity, they were trying to do this thing for the players where mm -hmm. after practices and, and after games – they were going to come right off the court from finishing a hard workout or, of course, from you know finishing an NBA game. Right. And they'd walk into the locker room and, and before or after their shower have a fresh cup or multiple fresh cups of, uh, of anything, vegetable, fruit, whatever you name it. We all can go get it now. Right, right. You know, but uh, in that window of time, it was kind of a new thing that was um, trying to get some traction uh, not only in our society in general, Nice. But but in professional sports, so yeah. I ended up being the one that would do all that. As silly <laughs> as it sounds, yeah. I mean, well, so like I guess um, nutrition was a big thing. I mean, you're right. I mean, that's that's interesting. I never knew that you know stuff like that was even a thing back then. I mean, just you just think it's water or Gatorade or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many other teams in the yeah. NBA were were uh, even considering it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't gather too many were because, like I said, this, the, Frank Furtado was trying to get a leg up on people. Mm -hmm. So, and was it you always wanted to be a coach growing up? Was that like a thing for you or to pursue? And well, working? growing up, you know, basketball was my passion right. since I was a young kid. Well, and, I see uh, the UNC hat, so that yeah, I'm a to. Carolina fan. I would have <laughs> loved to go to school and been a Tar Heel. I didn't go to school, you know, growing up in in Seattle. Yeah, uh, it seemed like Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I, I could have been as close to the moon uh, yeah. it was that far away but uh became a Tar Heel fan as a nine-year-old kid it was wow. you know I had a chance to watch uh Michael Jordan hit the game winner against Georgetown yeah. in 1982 for the championship and uh, was able to see that and just kind of captured my imagination yeah in my mind. and none of us knew who Michael Jordan was at that time right uh of course he was a freshman that right. year but but uh I just fell in love with the winner and and uh you know <laughs> and, and the excitement of that right, championship right. game and it just kind of stuck ever since but um you know going back to to want to be a coach right, again right. I just grew up loving basketball and was playing had a hoop in my backyard and and of course I uh, went to every basketball camp you could imagine and played AAU mm -hmm. basketball and and played you know every level you know mm -hmm. junior high, high school jv you know varsity all that kind of stuff right, right, and right. um at that at that point in time i i wanted to to play college basketball i didn't ever think about becoming an nba player that didn't even enter my mind right. I mean, that was just a ludicrous just, idea just, but just like getting the idea of playing in college is like a, yeah the idea a of being able to, to play in college was what your dream was in, yeah. in, in, in that point in time for sure and to be have a chance to maybe get a scholarship and and, and, right. and be a high-level college athlete so that's all i ever thought about right uh by the time i you know finished my senior year of high school um i you know i was from a small school in a rural setting yeah um 
it was in an era where you know your AAU type of basketball would happen regionally. You weren't playing in national tournaments, right? You know, it, it packed with gyms you know, full <laughs> of coaches. Just a different time, right? But uh, so I didn't have a lot of exposure, and so I, of course I wasn't um, you know some star player or anything like that. So I ended up going to college. Um, but when I when I got out of high school. I knew that I had always loved basketball, right. and that was my favorite thing in life. And so I knew I wanted to be a coach. Yeah. All I thought of when I was 18 years old, uh, you know, in cap and gown, was I thought that I would go to college to become a teacher. Right. And I wanted to be a high school basketball coach, and then I guess a teacher. I didn't really want to be a teacher. I yeah. wanted to be a full-time <laughs> high school basketball coach. Right. But uh, at that point in time, you know, you would have made about $6,000 a year if you were only being a high school basketball wow. coach. So, you know, you had to figure out what you were yeah. going to complement as a full-time career, whether you were a teacher or otherwise. So right. I, I headed off to college with the ambition to become a high school teacher and, and, and basketball coach. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would uh, probably become a high school English teacher, maybe history Sure. Uh, but the quest was to become a high school basketball coach. Right, just to get your foot in the door and do what you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, so my I wanted to be a coach growing up. I went to, like, I studied it. I mean, I played basketball just like you did and did all those things, and I just didn't – it didn't pan out for me. I mean, I didn't pursue it, but my younger sister is actually the basketball coach in the family. And when I will never forget – now, I'm going to share this story with you. When, I, when she got her first head coaching job, she, like – we were both visiting our parents or whatever, and she – comes in from I think her first day at the other school I was visiting my parents and she comes in and she like I tell her hey sit down real quick sit down, sit down. she's like what's going on I said so what kind of offense are you gonna run what kind of defense are you gonna do what are you gonna do she's like I just got the job man it's like my first day you know so I was just like so excited for her and she ended up telling me what she ended up doing but my younger sister also was a, a high school basketball coach uh, you know head coach for a number of years until yeah. she started her family and she, yeah. now she's you know, a mother of two kids that are under the age of four. So yeah. that takes away from coaching. But she was also a high school basketball coach, and she was the star player of the family. So we both have the younger sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, and my sister was a star player, too, of the family. She was the one who had the um, – she excelled in her, her – her team was really good. My team was really, really bad. So then after Seattle, what what did you do? You went? Did you go to the Midwest? Is that – no, so what happened was after uh, after five years with the, with the Sonics again, the first three of which I was a full time student in college at right. Seattle Pacific University. Mm-hmm. Um, I also at one point uh, was a high school coach okay. and, and uh, varsity assistant JV head coach for mm-hmm. three years and had had that experience in the Seattle area. Uh, had a lot of fun doing that. Right, right. You know, again, just getting to do what I thought I was going to do. So even in my time. Uh, with the Sonics, especially in those first three years when mm-hmm. I was a full-time student, it never even crossed my mind, not for even a fleeting moment, mm-hmm. that I would uh, ever coach in the NBA. Yeah, And I was using that experience uh, to learn more about basketball. Right. And it, all I ever thought that you know was that that was going to be experience that would prepare me to be a better high school coach. And that's right. all. That's the only track I was on. Yeah. And I was trying to soak everything up and learn everything I could uh, in the quest to become you know a high school coach. Yeah. So ultimately, what happened was somewhere along the way, maybe uh, my senior year of college, maybe the first year out. I don't remember. Right. But Ultimately, uh, it crossed my mind at some point through one of the coaches that, you know, I might be able to get a 
a college coaching job. Right, right, right. And uh, so eventually, over the course of time, I ended up having an opportunity in my in my time again. I I, I was with the Sonics for two years. Mm-hmm. Also, after I graduated from college, so yeah. by my fourth or fifth year with them, um, that whole thing surfaced a little bit, and I ended up getting a job in college mm-hmm. uh, as a division one college nice. assistant i went to the uh to oregon state university mm-hmm. which uh in that point in time was the, the old pac-10 conference right, right, right. one of the one, you know one of the power conferences in, in college basketball and and um uh i got hired to be an assistant coach at oregon state university that's awesome and um which co- by coincidence was the school gary payton played at <laughs> uh yeah. Brent Berry played right. at Oregon State. Yeah, a few State. guys like that. But anyway, um, and so I left Seattle and went to Oregon State as an assistant coach, and I spent yeah. three seasons at, at Oregon State. And when I left to take that job, uh, you know, I had shifted my attention from mm-hmm. high school coaching to college. To, to college coaching where I was sudden, hey, I, I, I could actually – maybe have a career and support a family full-time as a college coach. So I kind of shifted gears. So when I left to take that job at Oregon State, uh, again, I was 100% committed to trying to to build a career as a college coach. And, again, didn't have, uh, you know, even a millimeter of space in my mind for for coaching, you know, in the NBA. Uh, After three years at Oregon State, I I went up to Portland, Oregon, and spent a year coaching at the University of Portland, uh, which was the same league as as Gonzaga and, and, uh, you know, Santa Clara, Pepperdine, Mm -hmm. those schools. um, And uh, it it didn't work out there. After a season, our staff was fired, you know, at University of Portland. So after a four-year window of my life where I'd been a Division I college Mm -hmm. basketball coach, uh, you know, and been fired from two schools, uh, you know, where you're not winning enough. Yeah. I found myself out of a job again. Um, in that case, after Portland, it was the second time in, you know, in a year we'd been fired at, at Oregon State uh, yeah. right around, you know, the time of March Madness after my third year there. I ended up with the job at University of Portland. We were fired the next March, right around March <laughs> Madness. This, you know, kind of the, 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 yeah. the life of a coach. Yeah. So anyway, I, I was out of college, you know, basketball at that point, looking again for another job. Right, right, right. And in that window of time, I was, you know, knocking on every door trying to get another college coaching job. Again, wasn't yeah. even wasn't even thinking about the NBA. So right. I was still trying to just survive and advance and and, uh, and and build my college coaching career. Right, right. So was it pretty? Were you pretty down on yourself when that when those when that's when those situations happened, like getting let go and everything? Well. Like I wouldn't say down on myself. Uh, I didn't feel like I had done anything, um, you know, f- that would represent, uh, you know, personal failure per mm-hmm. se. Uh, I was. It, it was. It was depressing and frustrating sure. and very stressful because you know you'd been fired from from uh, a job twice and you know in, in a year. Right. And um, you know you're trying to build your career. So right. as a young coach and my you know. Uh, mid 20s uh you know again trying to to, to build a career yeah. it was it was a, a setback right know, for sure two setbacks and right. it was very stressful and when you're out of a job it doesn't matter what your field is or what your quest is uh it, you know it's a it's an interruption yeah and, and again it's stressful you got to find a way to get your next job right. so that's what i felt at that time yeah and i and i so i felt stressed and i felt um 
you know, discouraged. And yeah. especially after we were fired at Oregon State after three years, I loved coaching at Oregon State. Yeah. I loved the, the head coach I worked for, Eddie Payne. Um, I, I loved the players that I got to, to coach uh, at Oregon State. And I loved the college town. We were, you know, in Corvallis, Oregon, and had a great rivalry with, you know, University of Oregon and, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, a, and a great league. I mean, just an incredible college basketball league. It's, it's the Pac-12 these days. But uh, so it was it was um, it was disappointing to, to lose that opportunity. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. So uh, looking at the at the next step. So this what, what so we're looking at timetable what like 2001 2002 is that uh, or maybe I was 90s? coaching at Oregon State I started in 1997 okay so the 97 98 98 99 99 2000 yeah. those are my 3 years at Oregon State mm-hmm. followed by a, a season at University of Portland right. which was uh, 2000 2001 so that was my 4 year block of uh, of my college career so far yeah so I'm so I'm, I'm guess I'm thinking so after this you made your jump into the NBA, is that yeah, right? Yeah, you know, basically what it was is I kind of, you can call it jumped into the NBA or you could call it kind of resume the NBA, so to speak, in the sense that... <laughs> oh, yeah, you're in, right. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah, In the sense that I had an opportunity to go back to NBA basketball yeah. and, and, and get back into that world. Yeah. Uh, even though my five years with the Sonics, I was not an assistant coach yeah, at yeah. that part of my life. Um, I'd still, you know, been through five seasons with them, you know, yeah. and, and uh, had grown and had my role you know slowly expanded over the course of time and yeah. and had had a chance to be really really saturated with a lot of experience there and, and, and obviously uh exhilarating experiences from the from the perspective of the success we had you right know? so um so yeah uh, how did they, well, well how did that happen man how did you get in well Sorry. what happened was so i get fired uh again for the second time in a year march yeah. madness 2001 uh-huh. university of portland um and ultimately what happened is I ended up getting hired uh, by Rick Carlisle yeah. uh, and the Detroit Pistons to be an, an assistant coach. Um, that was the first job that Rick ever was hired to, mm-hmm. to become the head coach. It was his first head coaching job. And uh, I had gotten to know Rick a little bit um, each summer when I was coaching in college, starting yeah. in my Oregon State days. I had an opportunity. I uh, was invited by the legendary coach, uh, Hall of Fame coach, Pete Newell. Wow. And he always had a, a, a big man camp. He called mm-hmm. it the Pete Newell big man camp that he ran for a long, long time. And mm-hmm. um, in that era of time, he was running his big man camp in Honolulu every summer. So nice. I had the... Uh, I had the difficult task of having to go to Honolulu every summer as a college coach and and go down to work, uh, you know, Pete Newell's Big Mac camp. And what happened is he invited me to be a guest one summer, and and, um, and there were only six full-time, you know, teaching coaches at the camp, most of whom were NBA coaches. Uh, One of them was my mentor, Tim Gergerich, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's the way I had the opportunity from from Coach Newell through, through Coach Gergerich. He... Uh, connected me with Coach Newell, and uh, Rick Carlisle was an, another one of the coaches. Yeah. Um, so I got to know Rick in the summers uh, just from being at, at Pete Newell's big man camp, mm-hmm. and uh, Coach Newell would have me just kind of over on a side basket, and I wasn't, uh, you know, at all a, a full-time teaching coach for his camp, and I wasn't 
uh, you know, anything like the, you know, doing what Coach Gergerich or, <laughs> or Coach Carlisle or right, right. any of those people were doing. But yeah. uh, when a player wasn't understanding what they were working on or, or needed a little bit extra teaching or a little extra time or a few extra reps, yeah, uh, he would jump out of line at his main basket with his group and then Coach Newell would send him over to the side hoop where there's a little extra space and, and uh, where I could – you know, teach a little bit longer to somebody yeah. or give them a few extra reps until they got right, caught right. on to what they were doing and could jump back into the group and, 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 and resume. So right, right. I had a chance to, to operate in that kind of a role, um, but it gave me a chance to, to meet a lot of, of people, and Rick mm-hmm. Carlisle was, was one, one that I met, and it led to uh, him hiring me several years later. Nice. And did you, uh, did you like working in Detroit? Well, it was interesting weather i'm sure yeah i mean it was a culture shock for me in terms of the environment Mm -hmm. in the part of the country i'd been in the northwest obviously you know born and raised in seattle and then then uh, moving down interstate five to you know to oregon where i Mm -hmm. spent four years coaching and and uh so i was in the pacific northwest and i was used to a region of the country and a climate and and uh all that kind of stuff. So all of a sudden you find yourself in Detroit, Michigan, and it's a different part of the country, and, and the climate's different. Right. Uh, so that was culture shock. <laughs> uh, that being said, uh, we were fortunate. We had a lot of success. We only coached the, the Pistons for two years. But yeah. um, I think our first year there, uh, Rick was named NBA Coach of the Year. Yeah, it might have been that. the second. I don't remember. But I, I, f- I feel like it was the first year there he was named Coach of the Year. Uh, the year before Rick was hired, the Pistons had gone 32 and 50, and in Rick's rookie year as a head coach, there uh, the team went 50 and 32. So we flipped the record. We yeah. won the Central Division, made it to the playoffs, and uh, you know, and got through a, you know, got to the playoffs. And yeah. we turn around the second year and uh, repeat the same thing. We went 50 and 32 again, won the Central Division again. Mm-hmm. Of course, went to the playoffs, and that year we actually reached the conference finals. So it was. Um, two years of uh, of a lot of success for detroit which yeah. which ultimately triggered a wild stretch of success because mm-hmm. we ended up making the conference finals in 03 we played jason kidd in the new jersey nets yeah, which uh, spurs fans will know is the team that <laughs> won the east and yeah. went on to play the spurs in the 2003 finals but um uh you know so that was a, a conference finals appearance for the pistons which if i remember right triggered I think six straight yeah. appearances in the in the Eastern Conference Finals or NBA Finals, yeah, they starting with, with with the 2003 year. We were fired after that season. Larry Brown was hired the next year, uh, the following year in 04. Uh, the Pistons won the NBA championship right. with, with Coach Brown uh, in 05. They went no. back to the finals and, of course, lost to the Spurs yeah. in 05. And then. Uh, six seven and eight maybe i don't remember but they they ended up in conference finals or nba finals for about a six-year window starting with our 03 appearance wow man so at that time they the team the same team that won in 04 was the same team you that you guys had right with like rasheed wallace chauncey rip hamilton all them right we didn't have Rashid, so oh, I think okay. he was an addition for the for the team that won the championship yeah. in '04. But yes, we had Chauncey Billups and, and Rip Hamilton in '03. We went to the conference finals, and and uh, they were the cornerstones of that yeah. team, obviously. So uh, for them to get into the conference finals in '03, it probably served them well the following year when they were able to make it to the finals, yeah. and, and then of course win the championship. Wow, so then after that happened, you went to Indiana, right? Yes, so we were fired from the Pistons uh, after the conference finals in, in 2003. 
so there I was again in the unemployment line, wondering what the heck was going on right. with this, this uh, coaching odyssey that I'd gotten <laughs> myself onto. Right. And, uh, you know, still a young coach. And, and um, uh, by the end of the summer, so it was, you know, kind of a, a, a long, slow, uncomfortable, d- desperate summer that sure. year. And um, by the end of August, which is a very unusual time mm-hmm. in terms of the NBA hiring cycle, I mean, it was nearly nearly the first of September. Um, wow! Larry Bird hired Rick Carlisle to become the head coach of the Indiana Pacers uh, after Isaiah Thomas was fired as the head coach there. Yeah. And I got a phone call. I had uh, after getting fired in Detroit mm-hmm. in uh, in June. I had thrown all my stuff in a storage unit and <laughs> jumped in a car and driven across the country back from Detroit back home to Seattle. Yeah. And spent, like I said, a long, slow, uh, yeah. agonizing summer wondering right. what was going to happen next. But <laughs> by uh, about the 30th, 31st, somewhere thereabouts, real late, real, real late yeah. August, when you thought that there was really no life left in terms of the NBA hiring cycle. Sure. Uh, all of a sudden, the Indiana job popped open. Rick got the job. I got the phone call. Uh, and about four or five hours after getting the call from Rick, I was on an airplane uh, from Seattle flying back across the country to Indianapolis. Wow. And what, did you like it over there in Indiana? Or? Yeah, I really enjoyed our Indiana years. Um, I, I enjoyed living in Indi- Indianapolis you know, a, a great deal, much more so than, I, than, than yeah. Detroit. I uh, so was you, really proud of that organization, yeah. a great organization with yeah. great leadership, especially with Donnie Walsh as the general manager president. Right. And, um, you know, the first year there, we ended up uh, winning 61 games. I remember that, yeah. Good team. Uh, and, you know, got to the conference finals our first year in, in Indiana. Um, you played Detroit in the conference finals? That yeah, year? so we turned around and played Detroit, the team we had, you know, just been coaching the year before. Yeah. And, uh, had you know, had four years there, and, and uh, the first year was, was probably the most glorious year. Yeah. Was it – so you were there at the – the malice at the palace. I was in the middle of the malice at the palace. Wow! I was. I was. It was. Uh, <laughs> what was that? I was. I mean, on TV it looked crazy. I can't even imagine what it was like live. Yeah, it was. It was brutal. Uh, for whatever it looked like on television. Yeah. I'll call it easily times ten in in in, in real per, you know real life wow. and um, and it was frightening. Yeah. Uh, ask anybody that was there, coach or, or player, fans, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, it was a it was a terrifying environment to suddenly see yeah. break out in the pandemonium. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it was frightening. Yeah. So so far in man, I mean, you've been coaching. It looks like I mean, for almost ten, you know, in coaching realm for over ten, almost ten years, or going on ten years, and you've already had the likes of George Carl, Rick Carlisle. You got to work with Larry Bird. I mean, that's probably that's already an amazing experience. I'm sure <laughs> just to get you know pick the brains of these people and. I mean, if you did, I mean, that's that's awesome, man. So were you at any point in, in this? I mean, I'm pretty sure now we'll get to now, but then were you ever considering maybe like a head coaching career in the NBA? No, not at all. Yeah. And um, I mean, not at all. I uh, I was just grateful to, first of all, have a job right. after having been yeah. fired, yeah. you know, th- three times, yeah. you know, going, by the time I was in Indiana, having been fired from coaching jobs three times with two college jobs and a pro job. Uh, you know, you're in Indiana in those years, and you're just glad that you have another job. Yeah. And that's all you care about. Right. And all you're thinking about every day is trying to do the best job you can do. 
and hoping you win the game that night, right? And uh, and that you're gonna you know do well enough to see tomorrow yeah. and the day after that. So that's really your only mindset, mm-hmm. and you're trying to do a great job as a young coach. And right, you're trying right. to earn your stripes and improve your value and and uh, and help your organization. Yeah. And that's that's the extent of where my mind ever went. Wow. So then was so it's not like I mean if you're out in out in like a this type of you know work, regular work environment. When people apply, because you have to apply for jobs, right? I mean, and they they ask you, hey, well, how did this end? How did this end? But with the MBA, they know, hey, well, this he was part of this staff. They were, do they does that ever come up with the whole you let y'all were let go from here or whatever kind of thing like a turnover rate in terms of losing jobs because they kind of already know what's going on. I've always been curious about that. Well, a couple things. Um, I've never applied for a job right, right i never right. fill out an application is, whether it's on paper or, or you know online mm-hmm. um and i've never gotten a job with a resume so it's a yeah. very unique industry yeah compared to uh what most of the people who i know in terms of how it goes in their right. in their fields right right or their quest for jobs uh, i will say anytime i have ever tried to quote unquote apply yeah. or you know submit a resume to sure. somebody i've never ever even gotten a sniff wow. at getting a job that i've tried to do that you know yeah. it's just it's just the way our industry works it's very yeah. unique so uh to your other the other part of your question in terms of whether you're fired or not yeah it's the reality of um of coaching in a high stakes business whether you're like high stakes division one you know college basketball or the nba mm-hmm. when the stakes are high and uh and you're in the business of sure. winning uh, it's there's a lot on the line and there's a lot of pressure to it and you have to you have to perform mm-hmm. um, and everybody understands the industry that that, that we've all uh, chosen. Sure. Okay. So then you were in Indiana till '07, right? So then after that, you ended up here. So I mean, how did that? So you, you we were talking before we started, and you had mentioned that you were good friends with Coach Boonehoser, and he kind of helped you get your foot in the you know in the door with us with san antonio i was gonna say us but it's yeah. like the the mentality of a fan sure <laughs> but you almost went to dallas right so then when you caught when you got here what exactly were you doing i mean from from i guess in your nba coaching career from detroit to indiana to here what were so in detroit what were you doing and you're you're an assistant coach but what did that entail or i mean overall i mean i, I'm, I guess what i'm trying to ask is in detroit you're an assistant coach indiana you're assistant coach were they different jobs, or were they the same? Pretty much the same. No, so I was really, really lucky when I started with the Seattle Sonics, uh, who Spurs fans certainly sh- probably know that's the Oklahoma City uh, team these days. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to talk about that. So anyway, <laughs> never, nevertheless, uh, my we've talked about George Carl being the head coach there, but my mentor, who took me under my wing and was like a father figure to me and a, and a teacher. Is uh, was Tim Gergerich. Mm-hmm. I've, I've mentioned his name earlier in the podcast, but yeah. Tim Gergerich, um, you know, ended up. I consider him to be the founding father in the NBA, literally, mm-hmm. of what the the catchphrase these days, the buzzword, you know, would be right. called player development. Right. right. And um, in '92, uh, when I started as you know making juice, yeah, uh, we we call him Coach Gerg, and. Uh, Coach Gerg had been in the college coaching game his whole career. Mm-hmm. Uh, before he came to Seattle, he had been at UNLV with Jerry Tarkanian uh, and the Running Rebels and all those guys uh, for you know 16, 18, 19 years. Wow! And uh, you know had all the 
all, all the great teams there, you know, Larry Johnson's and Stacey Ogman's mm-hmm. and Greg Anthony's and all those kind of guys. So anyway, uh, he had get, they, you know, at UNLV had gotten fired um, in the spring of 91. And so Coach Gerg came up to Seattle with George Carl. They'd known each other virtually their whole lives. They were sure. both Pittsburgh guys. And all of a sudden he finds himself in the NBA world, a, a world that he'd never been in. He'd been a college coach his whole career. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I got a chance. So basically his very first full-time season in, in the NBA happened to be when I was 19 years old wow. and starting my sophomore year in college, right. and I was squeezing juice for the team. <laughs> so he took me under his wing and, uh, and allowed me to get uh, fully involved on the court with what he was doing and with all the players, and I was out there at practice every day and before yeah. games on the court and uh, doing whatever he told me to do. My mouth was shut, my yeah. eyes were wide open, my ears were wide open, and if he said jump, uh, I didn't ask how high. I just jumped as high as I could yeah, jump, yeah, you know. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, a phenomenal teacher, a phenomenal coach. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, he's a legend. And um, uh, he, in that era of the NBA, nobody ha- was working players out. Nobody right. was really teaching the game, you know, in terms of skills and moves and 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 trying to improve your your individual game sure. and understand your 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 place and your fit in the team game better. Yeah. And uh that's just who he was and what he did. So I ended up in my 5 years being with with coach Gerg. Uh I like to say I ended up getting my my doctorate degree yeah. in terms of learning how to teach and coach and and what in in that window of of the NBA and of my life. Mhm. There wasn't the phrase player development. All you were doing was coaching. Right, right, right. You were trying to help players get better. And from Coach Gerg's perspective, he was just doing his job yeah. and trying to contribute to winning. So eventually, I don't know at what point, but somewhere along the way, it started to become known as player development. Yeah. That being said, when I left after five years with the Sonics and went into my college coaching career at Oregon State, one of the th- reasons, a, a big reason that I was a, a, a candidate, an attractive candidate for mm-hmm. that Oregon State job um, was they wanted me to be able to come and make their players better. Right. We were trying to compete with Arizona and UCLA and Stanford oh, and, yeah. and, and USC and, and all those schools. And Oregon State, uh, again, in the Pac-10 in those days, was probably the eighth or ninth team in the league. Oh, and man, yeah. And um, – you were not going to out recruit the likes of UCLA and and, and, and USC and Arizona, right. uh, as anyone would know. So, the only the only way you could try to get an advantage was to get the best players that you could get, and try to make them better through through coaching them. So that was a a big thing that Eddie Payne, the, the head coach at Oregon State, who hired me uh, out of Seattle, mm-hmm. was attracted to, and ultimately that attraction came because I had. Um, been mentored and, and, and taught by Tim Gergerich, and gotcha. that's the kind of respect that he had gained. So yeah. it really started with that, and I, and I went to Oregon State and tried to work hard at that. Then, of course, I mentioned the, the summers at Pete Newell's camp where mm-hmm. I met Rick Carlisle, and that was a teaching environment, again, where you're trying to teach players, whether they were uh, college, you know, t- top-level college players at that big man camp who yeah. were preparing to go to the NBA or also the NBA big men that were coming to try to get better in the summer. Wow. You know, it was a teaching environment. You're trying to help players get better. You're teaching. You're breaking things down. You're trying to explain it better. You're trying to work on it. So uh, by the time I got to 
Detroit with the Pistons when Rick Carlisle yeah. first hired me. Um, somewhere around that time frame, maybe a little thereafter, it was starting to kind of become phrased as player development. I yeah. don't know that I, you know, it was called that, but that was my uh, job when Rick hired me was to work with our players and mm-hmm. make them better players. Right. And, uh, you know, you're not doing that so much with your stars. You know, the guys are going to, you know, that are already really good or that are going to play, you know, 35 minutes a night. But sometimes you are. So, you yeah. know, some of us. But you're for sure working with your guys that are the younger guys and in the, in the middle of your, of your bench where they're trying to grow. And um, ultimately then by the time uh, I had gone to Indiana mm-hmm. with Rick, with yeah. the Pacers, uh, in that window of time it was for sure becoming um, – phrase as player development so that was my my uh, area of responsibility um it was obviously becoming my area of expertise and i was yeah. starting to build a reputation and, and and you know getting some traction having helped some players have right. some better success so um that's that's what it got to so so by the time i came to san antonio as you were starting to get into yeah yeah uh that's what i had built a reputation for doing that had started to gain a lot of respect, um, and I came here to do that work with the Spurs. Wow! So, so 2007, 2008 was your first season with San Antonio. That's right. And they were okay. So that's the year we lost. So I keep saying, yeah, we lost to the Lakers in the conference finals, right? That's right. So yeah, yeah I, I got hired by by uh, the Spurs uh, in this in, in the summer of of 2007 in July, and I probably came on board yeah. all of about two to three weeks after the championship parade after wow. uh, beating Cleveland in 07. Yeah. But, yeah, my first year here, 07, 08, uh, I'm still going to say we, too, yeah. because I'm, <laughs> well, you, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was a we until about three weeks ago. So, yeah, yeah in 07, 08, uh, we had gone to the conference finals against the Lakers that year with Kobe and yeah. uh, and, and, and couldn't get through. Well, that that's amazing because you – when we were talking earlier, you you had mentioned Coach Bud bring, you know, helping you get on with the Spurs, or you had already had a relationship with them. And what a what an ideal situation! I mean, because you your player development, see, the Spurs are all about player development, and you had the opportunity to do to come in and hone your craft, so to speak, or you know learn something different. And you got to work with you know, Chip England, right? I'm guessing it's like you and him were pretty close in that aspect, working together, developing players. And you know what? I never knew. Up until, re- I mean, not recently, but, you know, a couple, 10, 11 years ago, players were still, you know, doing these, you know, you have a, they had a specific coach to help them with certain things or people working harder in the off season to do this and do that. I always thought just because, hey, they're an NBA player, they're going to, they're fine. Maybe they'll, you know, try to get in shape, better shape or get stronger or whatever, but never working on like the fundamentals of the game, which is obviously what you work on, spend quite a bit of time on working with players, but that's amazing. Yeah, you know what happened was um, in terms of the player development mm-hmm. program and ultimately the vision mm-hmm. of what player development was and could be, could become, yeah. and what it could mean to a franchise, uh, R.C. Buford. I mean, yeah. it starts with him. Uh, the guy is, uh, is is amazing, and he's a, he, he's a visionary, and... Um, He's, uh, I mean, he's just incredible. Yeah. And so long, long ago, long before he even had ever even heard my name, long before uh, I had ever 
come close to setting foot in San Antonio. Yeah. He set the wheels in motion of putting a, a player development program in place and, and, and laying a foundation. And the original architect of it uh, that, that RC put in place to get it going was Brett Brown, who's okay. the head coach of the Philadelphia oh, okay. 76ers now. Spurs fans will remember Brett well. But Brett had um, had been coaching. You know, Brett's an American coach, but he'd been coaching – uh, for a long time in Australia, pro, yeah. pro basketball in Australia, and had some experiences with Olympic basketball in Australia, and um, Lindsey Gaze and things like that. Anyway, oh, Lindsey Gaze, yeah, Andrew Gaze, right? Is that that's right? Yeah. So, so RC and Pop uh, a long ago, in terms of RC trying to fulfill his vision, had hired Brett Brown a long, long ago, and uh, when Brett Brown came to the Spurs. Um, probably somewhere around four or five years before I ever did. Yeah. That was his job. And he was uh, working in that capacity uh, in, in a solo effort to try to put that player development program in place. Yeah. So uh, when I came to the Spurs in 07, yeah. it was by way of, you know, P.J. Carlissimo was the lead assistant for Pop uh, in those days. I remember that. Sam Presti was still here working with, with R.C., and uh, Sam Presti got hired to become a first-time general manager of the Seattle Sonics. Yeah. And he then hired P.J. Carlissimo to be his head coach. So when that created an opening in the coaching staff in San Antonio, uh, Pop then promoted Brett right. Brown to the bench yeah. to replace P.J., which opened up a, a spot in, in development, which is the job that I got. So I right. ended up replacing Brett Brown by way of PJ leaving. So what happened was um, Brett had been here a long time and had really put the foundation in place. And um, Chip England had been hired uh, two years prior to my arrival to come in, and he's obviously a, a, a highly respected shooting specialist. Right. And that's his expertise and, and his craft is – is understanding the details and the nuances of shooting. Mm -hmm. And so he had been hired two years before my arrival and uh, had joined forces with Brett to kind of, um, you know, collaborate and coordinate and figure out how to make Spurs players better. Wow. So yeah. when I got here, Brett had gone to the bench, and uh, now it was uh, Chip England and, and me. Yeah. And, uh, he, again, he'd been here for two years, and he had originally been hired – uh, with you know project number one to try to help Tony, yeah, uh, Tony Parker become better you know with his shot. But anyway, over the course of the last nine years yeah. that I was here in San Antonio, uh, Chip and I were virtually like a married couple. Yeah. We we like to joke. We <laughs> yeah. spent so many hours together, uh, you know, side by side, working you know tirelessly uh, and passionately right. in the area of player development for the Spurs. Um, and over the course of time, kept getting smarter and smarter, and things evolved, and we grew. And sometimes we strategically, uh, you know, made decisions that made us better. Sometimes we accidentally tripped on things that made us smarter. Mm -hmm. And uh, where where it's at now, we feel very very proud of yeah. some of the accomplishments that we've shared together in the last nine years, and and the way that uh, you know that things are starting to operate. But yeah. with that being said, for for all the hours and, and years that Chip and I spent doing the job, uh, it comes back again to RC Buford yeah. because in my nine years here, RC was so committed to player development he was so yeah. serious about it and and had such a high value for it uh and 
committed any and all resources to that area of our program and to supporting uh, Chip and me Mm -hmm. in any way we needed support to be successful. And uh, without RC's commitment to that and and his, you know, his vision for it, uh, you know, I wouldn't be here today um, having had some, some, some level of success and having a new opportunity, you know, in my career. Yeah. And that being said, there was an interview, I think, uh, before a game one time, and the reporter had asked Pop a question about Kawhi Leonard, and he immediately did not – he dismissed, you know, the credibility for it. He said, no, that's not me. You have to thank Chip and Chad for that. So, I mean, that's – I mean, I'm sure there's more players that – I'm none of them are coming to mind at the moment, but, I mean, the Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard becoming this player, I mean, I'm sure both of you guys had a lot to – Help, helping that or developing well, you know that's very humbling uh you know to hear pop say that and it's obviously in, incredibly gracious uh for him to you know to try to shine the light on chip and me yeah uh and of course we both appreciate it but <laughs> but let it be said here let it be said here um chip and i are very proud of of Kawhi yeah. and, and his accomplishments we're very proud of all the players we've been able to help right. uh, whether they're still spurs or whether they've left and um we feel like we've done a good job anytime players can can improve enough to have success that ultimately earns them a new opportunity and a new contract right uh we're very proud of that yeah. you know and a lot of guys have had chances to get nice contracts here in-house with the spurs or mm-hmm. by other teams right. and gone out and, and and been paid well in other places but going back to Kawhi or anybody for that matter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Kawhi is an incredible talent, which yeah. obviously goes without saying. Right, right. And he's an incredible worker. Yeah. And he's a high character guy who is committed to trying to become the best player that he can and who works hard at it. Right. And accepts teaching and wants to learn. So for whatever Chip and I have been able to contribute to Kawhi, Mm-hmm. Um, you know he's contributed to us and uh, you know without those kind of characteristics or, or, or components to who you are as a player and as a person it doesn't matter you know what you do as a coach right, right. it's hard to help a guy right so we we were fortunate that that Kawhi had all those ingredients starting yeah. of course with his immense immeasurable degrees of talent and physical gifts right right you know and uh and again, going back to RC and his staff making a, a draft night trade long ago, you know, for George <laughs> Hill, uh, all of a sudden here was Ka- Kawhi in our program, and uh, guess who had the opportunity and the privilege of getting to work with him? You know, Ch- Chip and Chad. Yeah, so, Chip and Chad, so yeah. you know, we th- th- that that was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I'm sure a lot of other coaches would have loved to have that chance too. But, but again, uh, with all the guys that we've had a chance to to hopefully help on some mm-hmm. level. Uh, We've been really fortunate because, again, if you come into San Antonio and you get to put on a Spurs uniform and play for this team, uh, that's not going to happen, first of all, if you don't have enough talent. Right. And that's where RC and his group are so incredible at just their evaluation of of the talent that's going to come in here and who's going to fit here. Right. Because if you don't fit, you can't succeed. Right. And then, of course, the number one value that, that Pop and RC have for all people with the Spurs, whether you're a player, a coach, an intern, mm-hmm. uh, you have to have high-level character. And 
that's a, a value that they never compromise. So, again, going back to all the players that maybe we've helped yeah. uh, from a character perspective, you know, mixed with enough talent and the appropriate fit in San Antonio, right? it gives people an opportunity from ground zero to have a shot at success, to have a shot at success, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. And then, uh, you know, if, if Chip and I can help enough in our own way, uh, you know, maybe a guy can get a little traction in a certain area. Yeah, well, wow, man. I mean, that's it's also awesome, awesome stuff, man. And then in the nine years you were here, huge success. And then, of course, the NBA title in 2014. What was that like? I mean, two finals appearances of the year before, you, we lose. <sighs> and then you win in 14, <laughs> which was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was um, everything anyone would imagine it to yeah. be. So for all the excitement that, that a fan would feel for their yeah. beloved Spurs, you know, uh, winning the championship certainly as a coach or a player, you feel all of that and more, you yeah. know, because you know, um, you know, that you got to the top of the mountain and you know how hard it is to get to the top of the mountain yeah. for a lot of reasons. You know how long the, uh, the journey was in an NBA season. Yeah. Uh, you lived every single minute of the frustration or the you know the injuries or the losses or the late nights or the uh, uh, days and hours away from your family or traveling on holidays or right. you know whatever it may be you went through all of it so yeah. when you when you get to the mountaintop uh it, it needless to say it, it was exhilarating yeah i can imagine just the year before i i mean i didn't i had it was, it was funny because we, we just moved into our house and we were getting our home security installed. It was like maybe two weeks after the finals and the guy, the technicians were talking about LeBron James. And I said, you guys do not mention that name in my house right now. I'm, I'm still really upset. And they both kind of give, I made a, you know, I was making light of it, but I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm kidding guys. But <laughs> I didn't want to watch or think about basketball for weeks just because it was so sad. But then the next year was just so... I think the whole city felt the, you know, I guess redemption, so to speak, in terms of winning that, the winning the title back, and I think everyone celebrated for weeks. <laughs> well, it was special. I mean, yeah. for, for me, it was the first time I'd ever won a championship. Yeah. So, winning championships in San Antonio, uh, maybe it started to become commonplace, you know, for Spurs <laughs> fans and whatnot. But yeah. it was my first first one ever, uh, and, and you know, quite possibly first and only one ever right, you know you yeah. never know you i never mean know, it's yeah. winning one uh is so hard to do and take so many uh ingredients and elements inclu yeah. including a lot of luck you know to get to that mountaintop so i don't know if i'll ever be lucky enough to have that happen again yeah. uh but if i'm not uh, you know it's something that i'm forever grateful for that i got right. to experience and, and and more importantly uh the group of guys that won that championship in 2014 mm -hmm was the most special combination yeah. of players each individual guy was incredible in and of his own right mm -hmm. uh in terms of the human being that he was yeah. but that mixture and that chemistry that team had was phenomenal yeah. it was such a joy uh to the point where it's, it's one of the strongest levels of emotion i've ever felt you know in ter terms of toward a team and toward, toward a group of guys yeah and um and that'll be something that never leaves my heart i mean yeah. it was just it was just incredible and then you know to hear uh, reflections by Coach Pop or Tim Duncan or any of the guys mm -hmm. that had been here for so long before. A lot of them felt that the 2014 one was the 
the most special one. Right. You know, if if you had three or four or five, whatever, two or three or four before that. Right, 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 right. Rings, uh, <laughs> that that one was maybe the most special one uh, based on, of course, the, the circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, the redemption of, of the 13 finals, yeah. uh, having the opportunity, of course, to play the same team again. Um you know, but also the the point in time where the where the franchise was and, and where the team was in terms of um, you know age and expectations and things of that sort. Right. Uh, a lot of those people thought that that was maybe the the most special one. Yeah. And if if they mean that, and if it was you know to them, uh, that made it even kind of more special right. to me yeah. th- that it meant so much to them because i know what it meant to me yeah and to hear from guys that had you know up to that point three or four rings already <laughs> yeah that was uh a, a pretty uh that, that that comment those kind of comments had some gravity to it yeah and you you know what that's actually my favorite i think out, out of all the teams that i've won that's like my favorite team just because of the way they played and you know i i read a lot of john Wooden books and you know the my the thing that sticks out to me most about that team was it takes ten hands to score a basket. That's what Wooden said in one of his books, and I was just like, that's what that's what they're doing. I mean, they're just sharing the ball and you know making teams look foolish by the way they're playing. It's just amazing at that high level. But kudos, man! You got to and you got to meet the president too. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I sure did, man. So now you're going to Orlando, Orlando Magic, and I just watched that uh, thirty for thirty. I don't know if you've seen it. The magic moment, really good. I didn't. I had no idea Mario Eli was working there or doing. He's he's involved in the franchise in some capacity, is he not? He was there, I think, last season with Scott Skiles. Oh, he's okay, not okay. there now. Okay, yeah. he's not there anymore. So yeah. now you're with Orlando. How do you feel about it, man? Well, I'm excited. It's uh, really bittersweet to to of course leave the Spurs that are. Yeah. You know, when you've been in one place for nine seasons, uh, that's obviously um, unique when you're in coaching especially when, yeah. you, when you've heard my story which is it's amazing you know whatever like you know you end up being a gypsy a lot when you're when you're trying to coach for a living <laughs> put it that way so to have had the chance to be in one place for nine years was was uh an exception mm-hmm. uh but what a privilege yeah and this is home san antonio's home it will be uh forever home yeah uh you know i'll keep a, a summer base here um and I just I love this city. I love yeah. the, the people here, the fans, and uh, it's just you know it, it's it's in my DNA now. It's yeah. in, it's in my fabric. So it's uh it's it's bittersweet to leave and to kind of uh, head off to something new. And that being said, though, I'm really excited. It's yeah. a it's a opportunity that I didn't um, expect. Right. Uh, it's an opportunity that that I didn't uh, pursue. It it it, it kind of found me, and when it did. Uh, things happened swiftly, and it was an opportunity that that Frank Vogel, the the head coach of the Orlando Magic, uh, called and presented me that I knew um, was a great opportunity, and yeah. I knew that it was one that I couldn't say no to. Yeah. And you know, it's a great time. Um, I'm at a point in my career where I uh, this is an opportunity that's really probably coming at the perfect time. Yeah. In terms of the experiences that I've had. Uh, what I'm doing, you know, my age, you know, my, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. A, a chance to really get out and stretch and grow and yeah. do uh, have a whole lot more, you know, responsibility, quite frankly, yeah. um, to really be part of the true hierarchy of 
trying to help the franchise succeed and and uh and, you know in terms of the decision making and the coaching and and the day-to-day operations of of, of a program um so i'm excited about yeah, that uh, yeah. Co- coach vogel hired me to be too. yeah he is and he, he hired yeah. me to be his lead assistant and awesome. uh I'm excited for the challenge. Um, I'm excited about the opportunity, and and it really represents, um, you know, a, a great opportunity for my career, mm-hmm. but also a, a quantum leap for me right now yeah. to go from the role that I was, you know, where I'm working in player development for the Spurs to all of a sudden, you know, go to the top assistant spot, you know, of an NBA team. So um, I, I, I'm. I'm thrilled for the opportunity. I'm humbled by the opportunity. Yeah. You know, I'm grateful for it, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to going to the Sunshine State and staying <laughs> in uh, you know Central Florida, enjoying the the climate there, and a, and a great franchise that's got yeah. great leadership. Amazing um, leadership. You know, yeah. the general manager is Rob Hannigan, who's a former Spur. Rob and I got to work right. together in San Antonio, uh, my first season here. Uh, but the the ownership family, the DeVos family in Orlando has uh had a long 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 you know term of success yeah. and uh, is highly respected in the in the NBA in terms of the way they o- operate their organization and and um I think it's an incredible privilege to have a chance to to work for the DeVos family yeah. and, and and join this organization and I'm excited about it. Wow, so so Pop and RC kind of have this little I know and we're getting close to wrapping up but Pop and RC have this little bit of like a Bill Walsh replica thing kind of going in the nba where there are so many people from the spurs that nba teams are kind of plucking from the staff that kind of all over the nba now which is pretty amazing i mean you're part of that now yeah it really is you know um and rightfully so i mean to to be able to have not just a level of success yeah i mean it goes without saying right an unprecedented level of excellence that's been sustained for an unprecedented period of time um you know to 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 have that situation where pop and and rc and and of course uh great players starting with tim duncan of course uh have been able to you know to create that atmosphere for so long is unbelievable and you're right so many of us the list has gotten long Mm -hmm. and and the net has started to become cast wide uh so many of us have been uh, beneficiaries of the success of the program and uh and you know i'm happy to stand in the head of the line and say that i you know benefited most but you know <laughs> i'd have a lot of people arguing with me that you yeah. know every, it, there's a lot of head coaches and, and and that's been well documented there's a lot of general managers now yeah. that's been well documented other assistant coaches um <clears throat> but there's a lot of people at all sorts of different points in their career right now whether they were here in san antonio over nearly 20 years like Mike Budenholzer and left to become a head coach or you're someone like you know Brett Brown you know 12 years as an assistant and leaves to become a head coach or here I am you know nine years off I go uh there's other we've had guys that were interns here for two or three years that left to to get you know assistant coaching jobs or assistant GM jobs or you know scouting jobs whatever so there's a lot of people uh and it, it seems like everywhere you turn you're crashing into somebody that you have uh, some kind of a Spurs tie to. Wow, that's pretty amazing, man. So um, before before we wrap up, I, I just want to ask one last question. Favorite favorite player of all time you had the opportunity to work with, if you could say? 
Well, I mean, it's it, it, it's <laughs> it's hard to say because I've you know I just so I just finished my twentieth year in the yeah. NBA. That's a long, long that time. And if you time. go through and you try to count, you know, thirteen to fifteen players on twenty different NBA <laughs> That's teams. Over. That's a lot. And you're not counting, you know, different guys that came through, you know, and uh, at different points, you know, from yeah. trades and whatnot. That's a lot of players, yeah. but. Uh, it's also an easy answer because <laughs> I got to be, you know, with Tim Duncan for nine years. Wow. I mean, come on. That's Are you amazing. kidding me? Yeah, yeah. And no disrespect to any single other, you know, spur player that I got to coach. But uh, I, I think it goes without saying that, that Tim is so unique um, in terms of the human being that he is. Yeah. Uh, and, again, then, when you when you mix his – his human spirit and personality and the DNA of what right. makes Tim Tim with, of course, his, his physical attributes and his, and his talent, you obviously get Tim Duncan, but, right, right. but let's, you know, let it not be lost that, that Tim Duncan, you know, in terms of the human being that he is, uh, is, is unparalleled. Yeah. And I am so grateful and feel so so lucky you know that i got to have nine years with tim duncan and uh and again i don't have any of um the success that i've had in my own you know personal journey without tim and i and and for sure i'm not uh you know sitting here in the new position i'm in today with orlando were it not for tim and um believe me i mean that from the bottom of my heart and uh and I'll say that the rest of my, you know, the rest of my days because that's the truth. Awesome, man. Well, Chad, thank you so much for your time, man. I had such a great time talking with you. My, Good my luck pleasure. Enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, man. Good luck with everything. I know you're going to do well, and who knows, you might end up hit the NBA head coaching ranks, right? Maybe? We'll, we'll see. see. Yeah, well, man. that's kind of the journey we're, we're, we're trying to pursue here. All right, man. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. resume speaks volumes his character speaks volumes his work ethic speaks all those things and uh very i felt you know very uh honored to sit with him and to talk with him talk to talk with chad and like i said you know before you know i want to share this with you guys before i wrap up before we started the show we talked for a good maybe 20 30 minutes and we we had like a little you know we had coffee and everything and we talked and Man, just just cool. I mean, he made he, he made it so easy to talk to him during the podcast. And um, every week, I try and strive to get better. And this one, to me, I mean, yes, I asked questions, and yes, you know, I, I I mean, I had to do my you know, I'm doing my little podcasting thing here. But I honestly felt like we were just shooting the shit and talking. So anyway, um, all right. So let's let's we're at that point. So Chad, thank you very much, man. Good luck with your career and good luck this season. I hope the team does really well. Um, it's not against San Antonio, but... <laughs> All right, guys. We're going to go get to that point where social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Vine. You can follow me at Roel Santos Jr. Go to Facebook.com slash World of Roe. That is my Facebook page. Give it a like, thumbs up, give it a comment, whatever you want to do. Um, also, worldofroe.com. Check out the website. You can check back catalog episodes. You can check out some of the stuff that, we got, that I got going on there. And... Uh, yeah, I greatly appreciate it. Also, again, you know, Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash roll the row. 
If you want to donate a couple of shekels to the show, I would really appreciate it. Special thanks to Bombas for being the sponsor this week, guys. I also have other ones, Loot Crate and Gamefly. If you guys aren't sure which ones those are, you can check them out. Um, all right, so you've uh, been listening to The World of Rogue, and stay tuned as The World of Rogue continues to turn. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll catch you next week.